The Truth News Network. Since Gutenberg, we were warned not to trust what we read in the papers. At no time in history has that been more true than it is today. So where do you go for news you can trust? You turn to TNN, the Truth News Network, and the most trusted man in America, Dan Newman. I don't know about that. I think I'm trusted by most, and I'm glad for that. I don't, I don't know about the most trusted. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live, our Thursday chapter, and it is going to be a busy chapter today. We're going to go all around the world. We have so many things to point to. There are so many things that are happening on the world stage regarding politics and all that politics impact. We can't cover it all. And I think those in uh, mainstream media and many in our government, they liked this, this full atmosphere that can't be really covered well, investigated, getting facts. And so they just point everybody to one little area that makes them look good. Well, at least it doesn't make them look bad. You know, that truth thing. We can't let the truth get out. They'll think ugly things about us. We have so much of that to get into today. And folks, the mountain of corruption in the Potomac Valley, it just keeps growing higher and higher. In fact, it's at the 10,000-foot level right now, which is pretty high for a medium-sized mountain. But ours continues to grow. Normal mountains don't. They're there. I mean, God created them. We had seismic things that happened through the centuries, but you don't build a mountain and make it higher. But they found ways to do it in Washington, D.C. Where are we going to begin this day? Do you want to go to the White House? Uh, do you want to go to Ukraine? Why don't we do this? Let's just touch base for a second on the Ukraine-Russian invasion. You haven't heard much in the last couple of days. Why is that? Why is that? Let me tell you why it is. Mainstream media, they've gotten some orders or instructions from the White House, which is, hey, go a little lighter on this. You're scaring the American people together, and they're looking at us and expecting us to give them answers. And we don't have any answers So don't push it so hard. Let me just say this. It is very important what's happening in Ukraine. No question about it. And it's not just important to the Ukrainians or to the Russians. It's important to everybody on the planet, especially those of us in the free world. We're the ones that look at what's happening there and we're we're in shock and horror to believe that there's actually a sophisticated modern country, that would be Russia, that has the chutzpah to, in an unprovoked fashion, just decide they were going to invade and take a neighboring country. Those kind of things happened way back when Alexander the Great was destroying the Middle East and Asia, but not so much in the 21st century. Until now, one of the most powerful nuclear nations on the planet have decided to just go in and using 100% thuggery, literal thuggery, destroy Ukraine. Why, oh why, would they want to do that if they really wanted to make Ukraine part of their own country? Because they're destroying it, every part, top to bottom, infrastructure, all of the buildings. Think about that, the hospitals, the schools, 
the apartment buildings, infrastructure like transportation, subways, buses, all those kinds of things, the Russians are destroying. And so we're one of the kings of the Western world. We always look out for the little guy, and we always save the little guy from the big bad guy. Where are we 40-plus days into this thing regarding helping our neighbors and our friends in Ukraine? Well, if you ask the White House, you get a quick answer. Oh, my gosh. Sanctions, 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 and even more sanctions. That's what we're doing. And, of course, what that's going to do, it's going to stop the whole nation of Russia from being able to function. Their economy is being destroyed. Their credibility on the planet is being destroyed. And you know what? They're still trying to get this word deter, deter. Now, they made a big deal out of it yesterday. Joe Biden, oh, we put some more egregious, even more than ever, egregious sanctions on Russia. This is going to get them. And so in the White House press briefing, as you can imagine, our uh, soon-to-be ex-White House press leader, Jen Psaki, she tried to double and triple back on the deter thing. Why are we putting sanctions on them if they don't work? Last week, a senior Treasury official briefed that the sanctions on Russia were originally intended to deter, but now the point of the sanctions is intended to debilitate and impair the war effort. Can you elaborate on any change in messaging around the sanctions and their intended purpose and how that's changed? Sure. Well, look, I think the way we always saw it from the beginning is that uh, the threat of sanctions uh, you know, your hope is that there is a deterrence effect that has been played out in history, that there has been a deterrence effect at times. I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. That is not a sure thing or 100 percent. But if it reduces or if it makes a leader potentially think about what actions, what horrific actions they're going to take, then they're worth that threat of sanctions. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. And in order for them to work to deter, they have to be set up in a way where if Putin moves, then the costs are imposed. But if you believe Putin has made up his mind, what leverage do you really have? Why not put those sanctions in place now? The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. The purpose of the sanctions in the first instance is to try to deter Russia from going to war. Uh, that he will feel uh, the threat of the uh, sanctions, what the impact will be on the Russian economy, uh, on the Russian people, on the people who surround him. Uh, they are meant to have a deterrent impact. The way we look at this, broadly speaking, and Dilip touched on this a little bit, is that we do see them as having a deterrent I- impact. Never has it been the case that the putting sanctions in place is, a, is effective deterrence. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. Sanctions have always had the purpose of putting in place consequences. So right now, those consequences also include making it very difficult for President Putin to fund the war, which, as you know, includes uh, steps like the step taken by the Department of Treasury yesterday, where they're going to be forced, because they don't have unlimited resources, to make choices about how they're going to spend the resources they have. How do you describe these latest rounds of sanctions? Because the administration was very clear in the beginning that if the invasion happened, that it would bring forth everything but the kitchen.
sanctions sink. So the sanctions that we're seeing rolled out now, how would you describe them? Are they simply incremental at this point? Well, the Russian, they're, they've all been building on each other. The Russian economy is on the brink of collapse. Uh, the uh, inflation is uh, skyrocketing at 15 percent. The detraction or the constriction of the economy there is also projecting to decrease by 15 percent. Private sector businesses are not investing in Russia, uh, and the president is a President Putin is a pariah. This has all been the result of a coordinated global effort to put in place economic and financial co consequences that are having a, a incredible effect. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. In addition, we have made it much more difficult because of export controls and other limitations on the type of materials that President Putin and the Russians can purchase uh, to, to build the technological systems and capacities to fight wars in addition to funding wars. Um, and those are all components that have been the result of the efforts to date. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Folks, do you understand what you're witnessing right now from this administration led by Joe Biden. These people don't have a plan to stop Russia. If they did, they would have by now, and their intentions, by the way, were to stop Russia in Ukraine, they would have already began something that really works. And sanctions don't work against Vladimir Putin. At this particular point is... You just heard uh, Saki say, oh man, we've put the Russian economy, it's going nuts. It's it's struggling to even survive. They can't do the even the fundamental things that they have to do in the nation of Russia. From top to bottom, everybody is suffering there because of our egregious sanctions. Now let me ask you one thing. What's the definition of insanity? Hmm, think about that for a second. I'll give you one. Insanity is when you do the same things over and over and over again, and you do them because you're expecting a different result than the last two or three or four or five times that you tried the same thing. So based upon that definition, we are insane as a nation because we continue to do the one thing that we were told was going to stop them. Sanctions. Sanctions. So let me ask you this. Has anybody bothered to uh, pick up the phone and find out from, um, oh, you know, Ukraine, what they really need to stop Vladimir Putin? Well, you know, we talk about, we, you know, we don't want to send our jets over there because it'll make Putin mad and he might push the nuclear button. And we, of course, we can't allow one of the neighboring nations to provide MiGs, MiGs, jet aircraft, fighter aircraft that these Ukrainian pilots in their Air Force, they know how to fly. And we don't want to give those to Putin, but they worked a back-end deal, did several other of our neighboring countries up there, and they were going to donate those jets, but they did not because they're Poland we're talking about as a next door neighbor to Ukraine. They didn't want to get Putin going nuts and invading their country because they gave their jets. So they gave those jets to us. We're going to take them to your air base in Germany and then you can do with them whatever you want. Joe Biden. 
oh, we got sanctions going, and those sanctions are working, and we don't want to upset Putin because he might push the nuclear button. Do you follow this thought process, folks? We have a feckless president. We have a non-entity as a Secretary of Defense in Lloyd Austin. Our military leaders across the board now are looking almost like, and I'm going to use the S word, I'm not saying it's applicable at this particular point, but it's looking more and more applicable, and that's stupid. So when you go to war, and one of your friends is in the war, or maybe you don't even go to war, but one of your friends is really struggling against a foreign foe, and you promised, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to support you through this whole thing. And then the war starts, and your friend says, hey, I need help. Well, what do you need? And the friend that's in the war that's being devastated by an invader says, I need some weapons. You've got a lot of weapons that you're not using. Please, let me have those weapons. So what does a friend do? You give whatever that friend of yours needs to beat the foe. And so one of our friends, of course, it's Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. He's got a foreign minister who, um, first thing this morning, he looked to the West, 43, 44 days into this thing, and a news reporter said, what do you need? What do you need? And he didn't say this. I'll say this. Here's what I need. Here's what we need. Exactly what the president asked for before the war started and has asked every day for the same thing. Here's Ukraine's foreign minister. I came to Brussels to participate in the NATO ministerial and to hold bilateral meetings with allies. My agenda is very simple. It has only three items on it. It's weapons, weapons, and weapons. We are confident that the best way to help Ukraine now is to provide it with all necessary to contain Putin and to defeat Russian army in Ukraine, in the territory of Ukraine, so that the war does not spill over further. In the recent month, in the recent weeks, Ukrainian army and the entire Ukrainian nation has demonstrated that we know how to fight, we know how to win, but without sustainable and sufficient supplies of all weapons requested by Ukraine, these wins will be accompanied with enormous sacrifices. The more weapons we get, and the sooner they arrive in Ukraine, the more human lives will be saved, the more cities and villages will not be destructed, and there will be no more butchers. This is my message to the Allies. It's very simple. And uh, I call on all Allies to put aside their hesitations, their reluctance, to uh, provide Ukraine with everything it needs. Because as weird as it may sound, but today weapons serve the purpose of peace. Thank you. What a great statement from a great leader. Weapons serve the purpose of peace. In other words, we can't get peace in Ukraine without more weapons than we already have. And uh, don't get me wrong. We've sent them weapons. We've sent them money. Now, we hear when asked over and over every day, hey, how's it going and getting all that stuff to Ukraine? Well, we ran into a little problem. We couldn't get this to work out, but we're going to get it straight in a few days. Meanwhile, folks, the Russians are killing Ukrainians, butchering many of them, raping young women, 
destroying everything in its path as they push through these big cities of the biggest cities in Ukraine. And every day, if it's not Zelensky, it's the foreign minister. We need weapons, weapons, weapons. So let's just pause for a moment here and do a little consideration about what's going on. Let me ask you this. You and I both know that if our nation's leaders wanted to, we could stop this thing pretty quickly. And I'm not talking about shooting a bunch of nukes. I'm talking about really putting the hammer down in traditional warfare in defense of our nation friend, Ukraine. We could do that. Russia's not doing well when it comes to their military. Their military is devastated. And they were shocked that Ukraine just didn't lay down when they started this invasion. Why, oh why, hasn't our leader, our commander-in-chief, gotten tough? Why hasn't he picked up the phone and called Vladimir Putin? Let me ask you this. When Bill Clinton was in office, For those of you that were around then, if this same thing happened back then, do you think Bill Clinton wouldn't have picked up the phone and called Vladimir Putin? What about Bush 43, George W. Bush? What about Barack Obama? I don't think Barack Obama would have. What about Donald Trump? The answer is obvious. First of all, I doubt very seriously this whole skirmish, invasion, slaughter, butchering, butchering, none of it would have happened if Donald Trump was president. As this run-up by Vladimir Putin staging an invasion for several months, adding troops almost every day, positioned around the borders of Ukraine. If Donald Trump had been in office He would have picked up the phone and made a phone call at some point. Wouldn't have been far into that process either, I guarantee you. And would have, and I'll put it in context, President Putin, this is Donald Trump, President of the United States. How you doing? Great, I hope you're okay. I just want to make it very clear to you. We live in the 21st century. And we're not, our partners, including you, We're not in the practice of just going next door or going down the street and just without any kind, any kind of justifiable reasoning or any justifiable cause, we're just going to start beating up our neighbors and even going as far as killing them and destroying their, their entire lives for no reason, no legitimate purpose. They haven't done anything to you. And Mr. Putin, I want to make it very clear to you. If you go down that road, it's one that you will not come back from. And of course, Putin would bluster and say, what do you mean? What are you going to do to me? I guarantee you, Trump would not utter the word sanction. If he was going to sanction Putin, he'd just go ahead and do it. This guy, our president today, folks, it's one of two things is the cause, the reason for him doing very little effectively to stop Russia. It's for one of two reasons, the only two that it could possibly be. He knows better than you or I. 
sanctions haven't worked and sanctions are not going to work. Putin basically is thumbing his nose at Washington, D.C. and saying, is that all you got? Joe Biden is either scared of Vladimir Putin and doesn't have the backbone to take actions as a commander-in-chief. Or Vladimir Putin has something or some things on Joe Biden that have resulted in some kind of deal in which I can see this perfect scenario happening. Vladimir Putin wants to take Ukraine. A lot of reasons. We've talked about him here. He wants to take Ukraine. Word gets out. We know that several months ago, Vladimir Putin and our president had a conversation. At least that's the only one we heard about. I guarantee you in that conversation, this discussion about Ukraine in some form or fashion took place. And so if a sitting president of another country that wants to invade a free country that are allies of ours, and this president, in this case Vladimir Putin, has some damning information on our president, don't you think that would have been discussed? And don't you think in the circumstances in which we find ourselves today, if a real president with real backbone that wasn't afraid of blackmail by someone on the other side would have stepped up and stopped this holocaust in Ukraine. Is that why Joe Biden hadn't done it? And then there's another question to ask. What's the end game for Vladimir Putin? What's he wanting to get out of this? Yeah, we know he wants Ukraine. And again, I asked the question, if you want something and you desperately want it so much, you're willing to send your military in and these men and women give their lives during this invasion. If you're willing to do that and you want it bad enough, aren't you going to kind of keep it in good condition if you want it that bad? Whatever is in it that you want so desperately, you don't want to go through there and just turn it into rubble and there'd be nothing left. There's some stuff going on here that we may think we may kind of infer this got to be this or it's got to be that. But folks, if it quacks and waddles, it's a duck. There is something in this entire thing between Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden that is the seed of what's going on in Ukraine right now. Cause and effect. Everything that you see that happens in your life doesn't matter what it is. There's a reason for it happening, and then there's the effect of what happens. Continue to pray for the people in Ukraine. Continue to pray for the guidance and the mentality of our foreign leaders. And not only the foreign leaders, but on the American leaders. Because at this particular point, folks, top to bottom almost, without exception, we are really weak. And those that are operating our nation at every level, in every area, it just looks pretty bad. We need prayer. We really do. What's ahead? 
we're going to dive into this latest Hunter Biden stuff. And there's new stuff. I told you yesterday, I told you the day before, as we finally now are getting into an environment where mainstream media are actually willing to finally step up and not, they won't say anything about it. They won't admit that for two years they wouldn't cover the Hunter Biden laptop story. But now they'll start talking about it and make it seem like they've been talking about it all along. We're going to dive into that. We've got some other big news that we're going to talk about. Even some uh, some craziness in mainstream media. It's going to be kind of shocking. we got a big show today. And we'd like to add you in anytime. Toll free. 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom, Close Encounters of the Third Bathroom, A River Runs Through the Bathroom. For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. Hey, Thirst. Can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? Yes. Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies, available wherever fine candies are sold. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? Wee! Wee, wee, wee! 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 Yeah? You're home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Fake news, spin, anger, violence. How do you sort through the chaos? You tune in to TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Before we move on, let me just say this. Regarding why Vladimir Putin is doing what he's doing, what his end game is, what his expectations are on the other side of this Ukrainian invasion, we dig into it in depth this morning in our story regarding what could be his potential endgame, his reasons for it. We got a story there. You need to go check it out during the day-to-day. www.truthnewsnet.org. It's on the top of the page there. And let me just say this. You may see uh, over the past few weeks a little change in the look of the face of truthnewsnet.org. 
And that's just because we decided to freshen it up and give you some more easy access to the story of the day or stories of the day, plus looking back at some of the big ones recently. So you don't have to dig so hard. So check it out. And if you'd like to comment on the looks of it, feel free to do so. Drop me an email, dan at truthnewsnet.org. That's dan at truthnewsnet.org. About three weeks before the 2020 election, the New York Post published a bombshell election-changing story about Joe Biden's son, Hunter, that if it's true, that would have derailed Joe Biden's claim to know nothing about his son's multi-million dollar influence peddling, both in the U.S. and abroad. So the Post claimed Hunter Biden introduced his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, to a top executive at a Ukrainian energy firm less than a year before the elder Biden pressured government officials in Ukraine to fire a prosecutor who was investigating the company. And that's according to some emails obtained by the Washington Post. So the never-before-revealed meeting is mentioned in a message of thanks that Vadim Porshashsky, an advisor to the board of Burisma, that natural gas company in uh, Ukraine, allegedly sent Hunter Biden on April 17th of 2015, about a year after Hunter joined the board of Burisma. And he was getting at Burisma a salary of up to $50,000 a month. Great place to work, huh? (laughs) Nice paycheck, 50 grand a month. You do the math. You do the math, 600,000 a year just for being on the board. So that blockbuster correspondence, which flies in the face of Joe's claims that he's never spoken to his son about overseas business dealings, it's contained in a massive trove of data recovered from a laptop computer. The laptop was dropped off at a repair shop in Delaware in April of 2019. Now that's according to the owner of the store. The pro-Democrat and anti-Republican, anti-Trump media They instantly went into attack mode. From the New York Times to the Washington Post to CNN to The Hill to Politico, among others, the media dismissed totally out of hand the entire story. And remember, they labeled it Russian disinformation. The Hill wrote this, More than 50 former intelligence officials said emails alleged to have been found on a laptop belonging to Hunter Biden show signs of a Russian disinformation operation. That statement, let me give you just a segment of it. Here's what it says. Now, these are 50 big-time previous intelligence agencies that have worked in this government. And they said this, we want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails provided to the New York Post by President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, are genuine or not, and that we do not have evidence of Russian involvement, just that our experience makes us deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case. So in other words, that statement, what it is, it's a disclosure. It's a, hey, we're not sure about this, but based on what we know, this is likely to be what this is about. That sounds a little bit to me like... uh, Who's been in the news for the last two years every day almost? Anthony Fauci. Oh, we got all this stuff going on in 
our pandemic with COVID-19 and nobody knows what I know. And you need to believe the science in this. I've not treated a single COVID patient in my career. Of course, he's never said that, but that's the truth. I've never treated one, but listen closely to what I tell you or you're going to die. Do exactly what I tell you. Don't you dare do what I tell you not to do because if you do, you're going to die. Why should you listen to me? Because I'm the expert. Actually, what he said is I am science. So about this Hunter Biden thing, CNN's Brian Stelter, little Brian, he said on his infamous TV show, let's get back to the new season storyline. Let's break down how all this happened because it was launched, as I showed you, by the New York Post and then promoted by another Murdoch media property. That, of course, is Fox News. You worry about Trump's corruption and Fox says, what about Biden? Every hour of the day. So Fox is a producer of this serialized drama. But there are big questions about who might have created this show. And that's what probably is most important here. So then you have big social media. Twitter, when the story broke, they took down two of the post stories about Hunter and the laptop. And then they blocked any user from posting pictures of the emails or links to the New York Post story. And that prevented the Post from distributing it on that platform, dramatically reducing the number of people who would and could learn about this bombshell allegation. Facebook, oh my gosh, they suspended distribution of the story over signals that the story is false and said that its fact-checkers were examining it. So they were examining it. And then guess what happened? 17 months later, the New York Times, along with a bunch of other media outlets, admits the Hunter Biden New York Post story is true. And that the emails suggest that not only did Joe Biden know about his son's influence peddling, but that Joe Biden might have financially benefited. The New York Times said that about a Democrat in the White House. And they said, for example, in one email, Hunter talks about 10% for the big guy. The big guy refers to Father Joe. So all of this, folks, is it's small consolation to former... Donald Trump and the 16% of Joe Biden voters who, according to a Media Research Center poll, claimed that they had known about the Hunter story. If they had, they wouldn't have voted for Joe. Worse, after the authentication of the laptop story, one of the 50 former intelligence officials who wrote the Russian disinformation letter now says, in essence, so what? Trump lost. John Seifer, who retired after 28 years with the CIA, he tweeted this, quote, I lost the election for Trump? Well then, I feel pretty good about my influence. So that's kind of a wrap-up of where we started and where we are today. We've got a factual confirmed by intelligence agencies 
a laptop full of contents, damning evidence about massive corruption at numerous levels by not only Hunter Biden, but the President of the United States, his brother, and others that seem to be hooked up in this. So you know who Senator Ron Johnson is. He's a Republican from Wisconsin. Yesterday, he just went nuts on the Biden family. (laughs) I mean, he just came out, and he has personally been involved in a massive investigation into this entire thing about Hunter Biden. And they've put back out in the marketplace Ron Johnson and the others on his committee all of this stuff as it's come out. And every day, it just seems like it gets worse and worse and worse and indicates more and more and more Joe Biden not only is in this, he was actually orchestrating it, some of it. So Johnson yesterday called the entire Biden family grifters and influence peddlers. As we see every day, more evidence comes out of questionable business deals involving Joe Biden and Joe's brother, James, along with Hunter. They knew exactly what they were doing, Johnson said. They were using Vice President Biden's position in his name to peddle their influence and rake in, vacuum in, millions of dollars from all over the world. The Bidens are grifters. They're influence peddlers. They've made millions. They've compromised themselves, and they've compromised Americans' national security. Johnson spoke on the Senate floor Tuesday with Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa behind him about their ongoing investigation into the Biden family's shady financial connections, including partners tied to communist China and Russian oligarchs. Johnson said the media performed a limited mea culpa after establishment outlets finally admitted that the Hunter Biden laptop story is real. Johnson said, I call it a modified limited hangout (laughs) because the media provides a little bit of truth to try and get by the moment. Johnson in this investigation has used the Watergate era term modified limited hangout to describe the media's approach to the Biden family situation before. The phrase means to release a bare minimum of information. You have the corruption in their federal agencies and within the news media itself that really needs to be exposed. And people need to be aware of what's happening, he said. Now, let me put it in context. When the New York Times uncovered this last week, they started throwing evidence that backed up the stories that they published. And there's a bunch of stuff in it that looks really, really bad, really, really bad for Hunter but not so much for Hunter, for other folks that are involved in it. And so he mentioned, Ron Johnson, what we just told you you said yesterday, he mentioned he was kind of throwing shade at mainstream media because now even though they've admitted, you know, we just kind of hung back there, we didn't think it was credible, they try to double down on stupid, they still aren't digging into the details of that story. And so we're going to we're going to let you listen to a little bit of the back and forth the last couple of days by these other mainstream media outlets and put all of what you're about to hear in context. And MSNBC 
is right in the big middle of all of this. Meantime, some media outlets are starting to wake up to Hunter Biden's scandals, but others, uh, not so much. Right now, you'll see a right-wing, you know, outlet going nuts over Hunter Biden. Yeah. It's amplified completely out of the realm of what's real. So it's not that we didn't ask the questions. We didn't just go crazy blaring them as the lead story. Joe Kasha joins us now. Joe, is that how you remember it? Oh, well, there's this thing called Google and the Internet machine. You could go back and see the way MSNBC's morning show covered this. And no, they didn't cover it, but didn't make it the lead story. They torched this story. They dismissed this story in the most pious ways possible. It's on tape and everything. It's quite remarkable. Uh, and it's just the way things went, right, Carly Todd, back in 2020, October? A traditional media broadcast print. They participated in something called the sin of omission at that time. It's the most insidious omission or at least bias out there because of its invisible nature. You can't know about something when you don't read about it, when you don't see about it. And when the Hunter Biden story was covered, here's some of the headlines at the time. CNN, the anatomy of the New York Post, dubious Hunter Biden story. Washington Post, the truth behind the Hunter Biden non-scandal. New York Times, inside the White House, secret last-ditch effort to change the narrative and the election. Uh -huh. Okay, that's how it was uh, covered at that time, guys. And, and look, now this is pretty much... I think, anyway, uh, and Tom Fitton, I, I think, hit it nicely. Uh, this is an exercise in CYA, as in cover your whoop, derriere, yeah, cool. all right? This is a morning CYA. show. Let's keep it clean. Uh, exactly, because if indictments are handed down, as uh, Mr. Fitton uh, is predicting here, then they want to give the impression that they did care about this story, and they did cover it, except this is 17 months after they so piously dismissed it after the New York Times, I'm sorry, the New York Post had reported it, and then our media outlets called it Russia disinformation looks like several flavors of stupid now guys yeah the make a spin is really ah this isn't that important that we're gonna make it the top story and that is a view shared by many in the mainstream media including somebody from your absolute favorite publication the Atlantic listen my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is I think totally irrelevant I mean it's not whether it's disinformation or I mean I don't think the Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. Really? How is this not a top story? It literally involves potential corruption at the highest levels of yeah. our government, including being mixed in with the highest levels of other governments, specifically our enemies. As it pertains to Russia and China, right, Todd? And I think you're a Seinfeld guy. Uh, you remember the Bubble Boy episode? Sure. Well, this is the Bubble Girl episode, right? That that's what the bubble looks like when you say that. Well, I didn't really find the story to be uh, relevant, and I still don't. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean that's all you need to know about. I believe that was Ann Applebaum uh, who was speaking there. Uh, and look, uh, in this case, again, if this was Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump, you think that writer from the Atlantic wouldn't be calling this the biggest story? Story of our lifetimes? Of course she would. It's all based on the ideology of the son of the president uh, that this story is impacting at this point. So you just got some samples, some examples of uh, what the mainstream media, media is doing or not doing regarding coverage of the Hunter Biden scandal, as especially it pertains to his father, our president. Let me ask you this. We, when we started the show today, we talked about what reasoning did Vladimir Putin have to invade Ukraine? Okay, we've 
published a story today on our website that goes into those. But then the second part of that is why haven't we, the United States, done what Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, and you heard the foreign minister of Ukraine this morning, ask for from the United States and all of those uh, allies that he has in Europe. Weapons. This morning, even with the stuff that we have sent, that other nations have sent, they still haven't gotten the weapons they need to beat Vladimir Putin. Do you think maybe, just maybe, they don't want Vladimir Putin to lose? And it wouldn't matter if it was Ukraine or uh, Mexico. If they don't want that nation to succeed, why would they then give weapons to make it possible for them to lose? That could be one reason why Joe Biden is standing on his heels and he's listening to these cries. And instead of telling us, here's what we sent, we sent this on this day, we're making sure our allies over there have everything they need to push back on Vladimir Putin. Oh, he's a despot. He can't say that, or he won't say that. Why is that? Why haven't we sent them the weapons they need? Why did we get in the middle of stopping those MiG jets that Poland put up there to send to Ukraine? Why did Biden step in and stop that process? One answer is he doesn't want Vladimir Putin to lose. Or Vladimir Putin has put Joe on notice that if he does anything significant to aid Ukraine, Putin would deliver some information to the world that would maybe make this president look bad. Now, if you flip, if you flip the timetable on that, this was Donald Trump sitting in the White House, and he did stuff like this. The feeding frenzy by the mainstream media would be 24-7. They would not cover another story because of the unethical criminal actions of mean, nasty, the orange man, Donald Trump. This media, they're still, as you just heard a potpourri of it, they're still saying, no big deal, no big deal. Tens of millions of dollars that we know about are in the mix that went through the hands of Hunter Biden in circumstances that were in a world that he never knew anything about. He'd never been involved in it. And yet people, including very wealthy people, business oligarchs in Ukraine, in Kazakhstan, in Russia, the wife of the former mayor of Moscow gives him millions of dollars purportedly to invest on their behalf. He was on the board of directors for Burisma, the biggest natural gas uh, company in that part of the world. He had never been involved in anything regarding energy and certainly not natural gas. And they put him on the board of directors for 50 grand a month. There's no there there. There's no corruption there. That's just in Ukraine. What about a million dollar check to start off the graft, the grift from that former mayor's wife in Moscow? 
an oligarch in Kazakhstan, gave him a bunch of money. And oh, by the way, the communist Chinese government, they have a little piece of the biggest energy company in China. They just happened to agree to invest a billion and a half, one billion with a B and a half, a billion five hundred million dollars in an investment company that Hunter Biden had a piece of. Hunter Biden had no clue, no knowledge, no expertise, no training, no history of doing anything in investments and a major massive energy company in China is going to give him a billion five hundred million dollars to invest for them. When it quacks and waddles, <laughs> it definitely is a duck. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we'll get to the to the end of this. We certainly will. But here's what's going to be interesting is to see as it becomes more and more obvious and more and more evidence comes out that there's really been from the very get-go at least as much as we suspected, but more than likely far more than we have expected of graft, grift, and corruption by the Biden folks. And folks, there may be a whole bunch of other people involved in this thing that may be exposed. I can't think, if I'm a leader of a foreign country, or any country, I can't think of a better way to defend my country and myself than to be able to put in place a series of events and circumstances that would give me the ability to blackmail the top guy in that other country to either get them to do something or to get them not to do something. You know, like telling the truth. So I told you every day, every single day, something new comes out about this Hunter Biden laptop. And every day, as it does, the circle gets tighter and tighter around the Delaware guy, Joe Biden. There's a Hunter Biden whistleblower out there that's been kind of hanging around for a long time. And he finally comes out and he says, oh, by the way, when this latest batch of revelations came out about this, media goes to him and starts asking him questions. And he says, oh, by the way, I'm, uh, I'm just about to release a little more uh, information, things from that Hunter Biden laptop that had been deleted, but I just happened to have a copy of it before it got deleted. And oh, by the way, um, it includes 450 gigabytes of deleted material. 450 gigabytes, folks. That's not a bunch of pictures. I promise you. It may include a bunch of pictures, but it's a whole lot more. Here are the details of that. Well, the whistleblower who shared Hunter Biden's laptop from hell with the media says he has a lot more to share. Jack Maxey spoke exclusively to the Daily Mail and claimed he and his colleagues have around 450 gigabytes of deleted material, which includes 80,000 images and videos and more than 120,000 archived emails from the president's son. 
Maxi said he intends to publish them to an online database and because of this, he has fled from the United States to Switzerland out of fear the Biden administration will retaliate against him. Jack Maxey is the whistleblower who had his hands on Hunter Biden's damning laptop that has plagued the Democrats since the 2020 election. In order for Jack Maxey to release what he found, he started to post documents and emails on a file-sharing site in October 2020, a month before the election between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Within an hour, the files were taken down by what he assumed was the US government working to destroy any of Hunter's personal activity being shared. Hunter Biden's laptop has been the source of speculation since October 2020 after he abandoned it at a computer repair shop in Delaware in 2019. The owner of the repair shop made a copy of the hard drive before handing the laptop over to the FBI, which he later gave to Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, Robert Costello. Rudy Giuliani then released the files to the New York Post, who infamously broke the story in October 2020, only to be ignored by many in the media and politics, while social media websites suppressed the news. The Biden camp claimed all reports about the emails were merely Russian disinformation, citing a consortium of intelligence officials. Twitter shut down the New York Post account for 16 days and locked users who tried to share the newspaper's story. The social media giant claimed it needed to take such measures in order to have the time to fact-check the story. In the last few weeks, Hunter Biden's laptop has gained serious momentum in the media. After 17 months, the New York Times confirmed the emails found were authentic, prompting liberal media to finally report on Joe Biden's son. Last week, the Washington Post published an article that reported Hunter Biden received millions of dollars from a Chinese energy company despite having no qualifications for the role. US President Joe Biden has denied any knowledge of his son's business dealings and has also denied his son made money in China, a claim that documents have disproved. Late last week, GOP reps wrote to the White House demanding it hand over documents on Hunter Biden's foreign dealings no later than April 14. The documents Republicans have asked for are anything referring or relating the Biden family to Russia or Ukraine from January 2021 to present. A list of past and ongoing foreign business interests and ongoing foreign relations for members of the Biden family, all documents and communication relating to Hunter Biden's artwork and all policies and procedures in place to ensure the Biden family does not profit off the presidency of Joe Biden. Republicans are also planning to an oversight investigation into Hunter after the US midterm elections. The House Oversight Committee is going to be all over Hunter Biden, Republican James Comer said. We're going to focus on Hunter Biden not for political reasons, but because we feel he's a national security threat. There are so many things that are happening that are bad things at the hands of Joe Biden and those that work for him. The southern border. Think about what's going on down there. Think about the millions. I'm talking about millions of illegals that are in this nation because of one thing. Joe Biden has refused to enforce federal immigration laws, which is a violation of the Constitution, and it's an impeachable offense. Not only him, Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, he's released a dossier. He didn't want to, but we kind of broke it along with several other news agencies yesterday, a, a, a very detailed plan of what they're going to do to maximize the effects of Title 42 being dropped. You know, that's the the government entity, the document 
that was put out at the beginning of the pandemic to allow our federal government to immediately return to the nation of origin anybody that comes in because of COVID-19. Title 42, it's going to expire the end of May. Can you imagine the flood of immigrants that have come in then? So when you put all of these things together and you began to look at it and you began to pull it apart and just look at each individual part and analyze it and ask questions and get answers, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's a lot of smoke and there's a lot of fire. We're going to watch it every day. And you know this every day, we're going to give you the facts, the latest facts that we have. We'll analyze it and sometimes we give our opinion here. And when we do, we make it very clear what's different from the news that we give you compared to the opinion that we give you on that kind of stuff. That's what truth is all about. Truth does not exist in a vacuum. It's all over. It's all over the world. It's out there every day. Though it becomes very, very difficult to find it, and every day it seems like it gets tougher and tougher. So talking about that, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to visit about the most egregious, the nastiest, the most unprofessional, and the evilest member of mainstream media. And I'm going to give you some examples of exactly who this person is and what they do. Real Truth, Real News, TNN, The Truth News Network. Dear Daddy, Dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle? Snuggle! Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. It's not about me. It's not. It's just about the fact that mainstream media is in the tank to maintain the current status quo. They don't want any kind of new type of government to take over. What kind of new type of government are you talking about, Dan? I'm talking about one that does the legal things, that spurns and doesn't get involved in illegalities and kind of sticks to the oaths of office that they make, you know, to to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. That all looks nothing like the administration in power now. So I told you we were going to talk about a little bit 
and uh, reveal some information about the most vile, the nastiest, the worst uh, commentator on mainstream media. Who might that be? Joy Reid. Joy Reid. Now, you, like me, probably don't see Joy Reid very much, but it's because she's on MSNBC, and she's a host on a nighttime show. And she just goes nuts, and she's nasty. Oh, my gosh. She doesn't hesitate to call people names, to scream and holler at people, deride anybody and everybody who disagrees with her. She outdid herself in the vicious category on Twitter when she compared Republican voters to Al-Qaeda. You know, Al-Qaeda, the terrorist who killed thousands of Americans on 9-11. And then she went on to call GOP the party of pro-rape while slamming white Christians. She said Republicans vote like Al-Qaeda fighters with a patient, long-term goal of seizing power and forcing the libertine culture to heal under the boot. No matter how many elections it takes, she tweeted that Tuesday. That's why those anti-voting laws work. They're designed to frustrate voters out of even trying to participate. And the constant bizarre propaganda from the Republican right serves the same purpose, convincing people there's no point to politics. It's all memes and theater. And then she tweeted this. Democrats are in super minorities in these state legislatures where this stuff is passing precisely because their younger, multiracial base largely sits out midterm and state elections while Republicans, who are overwhelmingly white, rural, and far-right Christian votes every time. She was just getting started, folks. There were more vile tweets to come centering around race, of course, politics, and victimhood. And no Twitter fact checks in sight. It wouldn't touch her. I love this one. This is her again. The greatest and sickest irony of the GOP's new political strategy is that they are appealing to the most prurient fears of white Christian parents while passing bills and maintaining alliances that normalize child brides and rape as a legitimate means of procreation. That one, folks, that just that just frosted me. Can you actually believe that she concocted in her brain some kind of process where any human being, I don't care if it's a Republican, a Democrat, white, black, pink, yellow, whatever, any person would use rape as a means of procreation. And what she's doing, she's blasting anybody that says, I'm against rape for any reason. If Democrats were anything like Republicans, she said, they'd long ago have begun calling them the pro-rape, pro-child marriage party and accusing them of forcing women to be child-birthing slaves of the state while banning the teaching of what slavery is to keep the chattel quiet. I genuinely fear that before long America will look at a lot more like Russia or Hungary or even Afghanistan than any one of y'all can imagine. 
Why? Because Republicans are aggressive in their pursuit of social and political control, while just about everyone else is pretty disengaged. What freaking world does this woman live in? You realize she just was talking about Republicans. In case you didn't hear it, Republicans are aggressive in their pursuit of social and political control, while just about everyone else is pretty disengaged, like anybody that's not a Republican is disengaged. I can't believe anybody would say that. Republicans fight to even get messages out in the media and in social media. Because most of the time, a huge portion of the time, when they talk about any serious political issue, they immediately are banned or fact-checked with a big label on anything that they post while people like Joy Reid, and she calls herself pro-democracy, anything and everything she said, everything I just told you, every one of those, I'm looking at actual tweets in which she put them up. Everything was allowed to go. No checking, no questioning, just it's Joy Reid, MSNBC, let her rip. This latest stuff surfaced after she declared earlier this week that any Republicans who vote against Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson are on the Dixiecrat side of history. And that former Donald Trump, former president, would have been prosecuted by now if he was a Democrat. I haven't seen any president recently get prosecuted by Congress, a Democrat, have you? I haven't seen that happen. Have we seen a Republican? Well, a couple of times. Yeah, Donald Trump, a Republican. She also claimed earlier Ukraine is seeing global support because it's a country full of white Christians. Let's face it. The world, she said, is paying attention because this is happening in Europe. If this was happening anywhere else, Would we be seeing the same outpour of support and compassion? We don't need to ask ourselves if our response would be the same if Russia unleashed their horror on a country that wasn't white and was largely Christian. She also asserted Republicans want a white Christian autocracy. I understand that they prefer autocracy. They want a white Christian autocracy in the United States. They believe that white Christians are sort of beleaguered and deserve to rule the U.S. without elections. Got it. But this is really at this point open, she said. I'm going to look back just a moment. I pulled these. I just wanted you to hear some of the other stuff that she has said. Enter the Republican conspiracy senator from Wisconsin by way of Moscow, Ron Johnson. (laughs) By way of Moscow? I guess Johnson is a puppet of Putin or something. Hmm. She was opining on the decision by Texas Governor Greg Abbott to open the state and end the statewide mask mandate with the Chiron, Texas to end all COVID precautions. Not true, but moving on. She had this to say about Texas and Mississippi. Listen to this. These states, what they have in common is they have structures which say black and brown lives matter less. All that matters is that black and brown people get their behinds into the factory and make me my steaks, make me my stuff, get there and do my nails, work, 
get back to work now and do the things that I, the comfortable, affluent person need. Isn't that what we're seeing? I'm not seeing that. I don't live in Texas or Mississippi. I'm sandwiched in between. I go to Texas a lot. I go through Mississippi a lot. I hadn't seen any of this there, but she is. And then this, I'll say it again. People on the right would trade all the tax cuts for the ability to openly say the N-word, like in the good old days. To them, not being able to be openly racist and discriminatory without consequence, they call that oppression. Trump is the avatar for this freedom. (laughs) Currently, most K-12 students already learn a kind of Confederate race theory whereby the daughters of the Confederacy long ago imposed a version of history wherein slavery was not so bad and had nothing to do with the Civil War and lynchings and violence never happened. I don't know anything about the daughters of the Confederacy. I know they're out there. By the way, I wonder if she understands that uh, the Ku Klux Klan was invented and operated and full of Southern Democrats. (laughs) She claims that the GOP is a pro-rape and pro-child marriage party. She also said that the Republican Party wants to force women to be childbirthing slaves of the state. She said that Republicans want to ban the teaching of what slavery is. No question in my mind, she is the vilest, the most evil of anybody that has a television camera and a microphone in front of them. And that just frosts me. I don't, I don't see how any legitimate national network, and I probably just explained it when I said any legitimate. MSNBC is far from being legitimate. It's owned by a company that has lots and lots and lots of money to spend to blow And their stockholders apparently are okay with them doing that, hiring people like Joy Reid. Let's move along. Oh, by the way, Joy Reid. Jen Psaki, story we're about to do. Jen Psaki's about to go join Joy Reid at that big, famous company, MSNBC. Well, yesterday, she kind of stepped on it, she being Jen Psaki. Americans are pretty mad at reports that are coming out that the Biden administration is doling out our taxpayer-funded cell phones. They're giving taxpayer-funded cell phones to illegal immigrants that they're releasing across the nation. And of course, what they say, hey, rest assured, it's happening, and it's a strategy that's kind of working. (laughs) Jen essentially confirmed those migrants caught at the U.S. border that are trying to get in the country are being gifted smartphones free of charge by the Department of Homeland Security. Why? Well, during yesterday's press briefing, I could play it here, but you get tired of hearing Saki, so we won't do it. I'll just tell you, she touted the cell phone plans as one of three, three strategies. I didn't know they had one. But they they have three, she said, to track illegal immigrants, all while Americans struggle to fill their gas tanks and afford groceries. Our team in Texas is saying that you guys are starting to give smartphones to border crossers 
and you're hoping they'll use the phones to check in to be tracked. Now, that's Peter Ducey. He's speaking to Jen Psaki in yesterday's press briefing. Which part of that is supposed to deter people from crossing illegally into the U.S.? So, as usual, when any conservative reporter in the room in the press briefing asks a question that Jen Psaki doesn't like, she gives them a snarky response. And it was... It was an immediate dig at Ducey yesterday, who has been a thorn in the side of the administration during these pressers throughout this presidency. Saki said this, Well, I thank you of all people, since you've asked me a range of questions on this topic over time, would recognize that we need to take steps to ensure that we know where individuals are and we can track and we can check in with them, she said. The alternatives to detention programs is what we utilize. It has three unique forms of technology to monitor participants enrolled in the program. And then she elaborated on the telephonic strategy in which migrants give a biometric voice print, monitoring using a smartphone or tablet, using facial matching technology, and using satellite technology to track through an ankle bracelet. And of course, all of that that I just told you, they they cut through an ankle bracelet. They don't care if they know where the ankle bracelet is. Those illegal immigrants, they'll cut it off and leave and disappear and nobody will know where they are. That happens all the time. A biometric voice print is only good when you recapture or you find those illegals and you get them to talk. (laughs) And as far as cell phones used to track them, You can buy a burner at Walmart. That's what you call one of the uh, over-the-counter cell phones that you get. They have different numbers, and you got to change your number or use that number on a burner phone. You can buy one of those for $10 and get, I don't know, a package of minutes of talk time. They'll be throwing these tracker phones away or selling them, by the way, very quickly. Saki said, this is all part of our effort. As individuals come into the U.S., they are entering and will proceed to immigration proceedings to monitor and track where they are. She pressed her concerns that are voiced by many already about how the government ensures that illegals don't just throw away the phones. Do you have a record of people throwing phones away, she snarked. I'm just asking if that's a concern. Our concern is ensuring that individuals who irregularly migrate to the United States, that they go through our process of, you know, of course, being monitored, but also participating in in hearings to determine whether or not they will be able to stay. 70% of them never show up to hearings. 70%. So I wonder if they were monitoring those 70%. You and I both know they weren't. This is just another another way to open the borders and let any and all illegals come into the United States. It's just all part of the same thing. I guess you heard yesterday, President Biden released his tax returns. Wow, that's quick, isn't it? Well, it was quick. But there are some problems about his tax returns. 
Given the recent bombshells, all the shady dealings that are alleged by President Joe Biden and his youngest son, Hunter, a couple of legal experts are now calling for Mr. Biden to release his and his wife's corporate tax returns, the entire corporate tax returns. In an email to the New York Post, Jonathan Turley, a law professor, I've got a lot of respect for him. And by the way, he's a Democrat. He is of George Washington University. He argued that though there is no evidence of wrongdoing on the presidential company's part, uh, couple's part, the scandal surrounding Hunter has reached the point where the White House needs to err on the side of transparency, like give us your entire tax return, not just the front two pages. Biden's past denials of any knowledge or any involvement with Hunter's business dealings now stands contradicted not only by witnesses and emails, but also by Hunter himself. Full disclosure and transparency would seem at a minimum warranted given the growing controversy. A growing controversy that even the biased establishment press has finally been forced to report on. University of Minnesota law professor Richard Painter is a former member of George W. Bush's administration. He came up with this. He told the Post that without access to the Paris corporate returns, you don't know where the money's coming from. This is exactly why it's better to disclose than every card is face up on the table. Otherwise, people have no idea what's in there, and that undermines public confidence in the government. Former Utah U.S. Attorney Brett Tolman took it even further. He argued that the federal probe in the Hunter should be expanded to include both the elder Biden's mom and dad. In a white-collar investigation, the focus is on sourcing funds. This should be the heart of what they are doing right now. Biden would not have any way to stop a grand jury subpoena. While it's typical for presidential candidates and presidents to release their personal income tax returns, rarely are they asked also to release their corporate Returns. In the Biden's case, their returns would concern Celtic Capri Corporation and Gia Coppa Corporation. Those are two sub S corporations that they created to funnel and continue to funnel much of their personal income through. And it's legal. But because it's two companies, FEC requirements don't require that the company's tax returns be released. In 2017-2018, for example, Joe and Bill, they routed $13 bucks through these two corporations. The beauty of S corporations on the political level is they allow candidates to hide the real source of their money. How do you do that? Well, hypothetically, let's say that you earn 100 grand and you make that from producing pornography. And then you funnel that hundred grand through one of these sub-S corporations. When that's reported on your personal income tax form, the source of the money would be the corporation itself, not how the corporation earned the money or where it came from. Only someone with access to the corporation's own tax returns would know the true source, pornography. That's the problem. 
Nobody knows the source, the real source of the Biden's massive income, and it is huge. The establishment press, they run fact checks. And you know they would. They'll fact check everybody, but in the case of the Bidens, they claim the source is speaking fees and book deals. Where are they getting that information? They're being told that by the Biden camp. They haven't seen anything. A lot of people have their own theories about the money source. <laughs> and we won't even go into the tweets and the Facebook post about what those sources are. Another beauty of S-corporations, they allow you to pay less income taxes by dividing your earnings into a salary and distributions. The key is that with the salary, you got to pay ordinary income tax in addition to a self-employment tax. With the distribution, you need only pay ordinary income tax. So it's a way to, and it is legal, it's a way to deflect information and to kind of fiddle with classification of money that you spend. Is it for business or is it for personal income? Using this scheme, the Bidens declared only $800,000 of the $13 million. Folks, not even the president and first lady, candidates, they had $13 million as income. This allowed them to save half a million dollars in taxes. The report triggered widespread anger and calls for an IRS audit. I don't know if that's happened. I don't know if it should happen. Part of the anger stemmed from the president's habit of slamming other wealthy people. He does it every day. Folks, he had $13 million come directly to him, but he deposited it in a sub-S corporation's account. Basically, what's that doing? (laughs) It's cleaning up the money. (laughs) It's laundering the money. And I can't say anything was wrongdoing there, but it certainly appears they got a lot of money, and we're not sure of the sources. It's hard for anybody, I don't care who you are, to legitimately make 13 million bucks in a year. Just saying. So we've got this horrible illegal immigration problem at the southern border. And please understand, it starts at the southern border, but it impacts every one of the 50 states because these illegals by this administration are being transported all over the country. And we don't know where they are, how many they are. We don't have their addresses. And believe me, they're not hooked up to monitors, ankle bracelets, and they threw away their cell phones. I'm just saying. There are a bunch of them out there. And when this Title 42, when it's over at the end of May, Katie Katie barred the door. The southern border is going to be just obliterated. So those border states, they got to come up with a plan because their infrastructure to take this illegal immigrants flood of everything. And not all immigrants are bad. Most of them are good. But the problem is... These, the way these big groups that are coming across the border, it's not like they're a bunch of families that are getting together and singing Kumbaya at night. It's not at all. It's a bunch of evil people. Not all, but a bunch of evil people that are involved in drug-related transportation. Um, 
sex trade, human trafficking, all of the above, some of the above. So these border governors are saying, look, we got a problem. We got to handle this. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, we told you this, I think yesterday, the day before, what he's doing, he's already set up the process for Texas to begin transporting the illegals that come into South Texas. They're going to get rid of them. They're going to send them by bus at Texas cost to Washington, D.C., In a Wednesday afternoon news conference yesterday, Governor Abbott took the bull by the horns and he demonstrated strong and decisive leadership. We hadn't seen much of that on the national level, have we? Took uh, took out a, a plan and he laid it out for the media. New actions to protect Texans, including the use of charter buses to relocate the surplus of illegals to an area where its part-time political residents have been their greatest champions in D.C. Quote, to help local officials whose communities are being overwhelmed by hordes of illegals who are being dropped off by the Biden administration, Texas is providing charter buses to send these illegal immigrants who have been dropped off by the Biden administration to Washington, D.C. We are sending them to the U.S. Capitol where the Biden administration will be able to more immediately address the needs of the people that they're allowing to come across the border. Later, he tweeted this, while Biden continues to fail America with his open border policies, Texas is taking unprecedented action to secure our state and our country. He noted that there will be enhanced vehicle inspections at points of entry along with charter buses to send illegals to D.C., as well as boat blockades, and perhaps more importantly, more to come. So as you can imagine, the reaction to what Abbott's announced drew raves on Twitter, including from Ted Cruz, held the excellent ideas and added, but Texas shouldn't only send charter buses of illegal aliens to D.C., I filed federal legislation to also send them to, and listen to <laughs> listen to what is legislation, where he said they should go. Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, Palo Alto, California, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, which is the location of Biden's beach retreat. <laughs> Republican congressional candidate Irene Armendariz Jackson, who hopes to flip the quirky former Democrat Representative Beto O'Rourke's old seat this year, she chimed in with her own idea. Send the buses to the Democrats' Congress members' houses, starting with at Speaker Pelosi, she tweeted. I mean, say what you want. This administration, Joe Biden, all of the people that work under him and his cabinet and all of the agencies, they all swore an oath to defend the Constitution and to abide by the Constitution. They all did that, every one of them, in line. They've just turned their backs on their commitment. They have. What are you supposed to do if you get into a relationship in business or maybe socially, but you're involved in an entity that does specific things for which you joined it? Kind of like a volunteer, maybe the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, or some social group. 
And when you get in, you find out that they're doing stuff that you just don't agree with and you think it's wrong. What do you do? Well, you typically make yourself known. You go to a leader or several leaders and say, look, here's how I feel about this and see what kind of response you get. And in the case when you get no response at all, you should leave. If what they're doing or promoting goes against your ethics, your morals, and the way you feel about things like the law, turn tail and walk away. None of them are doing that, or we would have heard about it. So they're all in cahoots about willingly suborning the everyday breaking of federal immigration laws, which in doing it are felonies. How do you justify that? How do you clean that up? There's no way to do it, folks. You're just suborning criminality. That's all it is. And so down in the southeast, Florida took a page from Governor Abbott. Yesterday, Ron DeSantis, the governor, he vowed to scoop up any illegal who the Biden administration dumps in their state and drop them off at Democrats' doorsteps and said, DeSantis said if Joe Biden is dumping people, which he's dumped people, they fly them in at 2 in the morning. They haven't done it lately, but they did it many months ago. We now have money where we can reroute them to sanctuary states like Delaware. We're going to do that to make sure we're keeping our people safe here. People laughed when they heard it because Delaware happens to be the home state of the very man, Joe Biden, who is responsible for illegals being funded. They're funneling, in large, into Florida. And this is not the first time he, DeSantis, has made this threat. It's not clear whether he's ever actually followed up on it, though. One of the points of leadership, especially when you're in political leadership, when something needs to be done, you don't wait. That's part of what the problem is in our Ukraine-Russia thing. Joe Biden, he knew long before this invasion started, Vladimir Putin started collecting troops and equipment and setting it on the borders with Ukraine for several months before this all started. He had 150,000 Russian soldiers stationed on the border. So they knew. Biden knew. He talked to Zelensky. He talked to people in NATO, allies in NATO, even though Ukraine's not a member of NATO. They could have really done something preemptively, and they didn't. Why not? Can't tell you, but that's not a sign of good leadership. Now, we're talking just a minute about Texas. There's some big news coming in Texas. A significant number of Hispanic women, they are getting involved in the politics of Texas, and they're getting involved in the Texas Republican Party as congressional candidates in the midterms coming up, creating a potential nightmare for Democrats. Four Hispanic women have already won their respective GOP primaries. Four. Two others made it to a runoff that's going to happen in May. Three of them. Three of them have the potential to become the first Hispanic women and the first Republicans to represent South Texas in Congress. 
You would think that everybody in the media would be just excited about this. Look, diversity in Congress, we got to have it. Look what's going on in Texas. These Hispanic women have pushed through. We know how vile Republicans are in the state of Texas. They don't give a rip about Hispanic people. We're Democrats, we do. But this is finally a sign that we may be wrong, that the Republican Party in Texas is coming around. The Texas voters are coming around. No. They hadn't said a thing about it. And they will not support, I know that's a shock to you, they're not going to support these women running for Congress there as Republicans. So some of these candidates and Texas Republican Party officials said the development is a result of the demographic realizing their values align not with the Democrat Party, but the Republican Party. Not just are you talking about gender, you're also talking about all three of them are Hispanic. All three of them are from the community, so they have a good pulse of what really is going on there. One of them said she had never liked identity politics, but acknowledged it was remarkable to see the domino effect of conservative women entering the political arena. I'm not shocked that they're Hispanic, but I guess when you sit down and you really think about it, my gosh, they're all female. They're all Hispanic. It's really because America's been put last. People are seeing that and saying, hell no, we need to do something about this. Remember this, Biden severely underperformed with Hispanics, not just in Texas, but across the nation in 2020. And the GOP has stepped up its efforts to capitalize on their gains. The Wall Street Journal released a poll in December that found Hispanic voters are now evenly split between both parties. The chair of the Star County Republican Party, Claudia Alcazar, attributed the rise of Hispanic women in the GOP to a new generation that is coming out of the closet as conservative and feels empowered to speak out. We're the mothers, this group said. We're the ones who raise our children, and we're not happy with all this stuff that's going on through critical race theory, and all that stuff just doesn't align with our views as Christian women. So yeah, we're getting more involved. Absolutely. How about that? For those of you that are just joining us, maybe you're new to the show. Uh, we, we see sources and places on the planet, especially around the United States, that we did not know previously we had people that were listening in. Let me just say this to you. You may not know this, but this show, even though it's live every Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time, If you miss a show or miss part of a show, you can always go back and grab them. Five minutes after the show is over, this show in its entirety appears appears on several outlets that do podcasts. The name of our show is TNN Live. If you go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, TuneIn Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and even Facebook, the show goes live five, ten minutes after we finish up here, even on my Facebook page. On all of those places, 
You can just go to their main podcast page and in the search bar, enter TNN Live. It'll take you right to an index of all of our shows and they always put the latest show up top. Don't miss anything. Come back whenever. Every day we're involved in things. I mean, this is two hours and we analyze lots of truth here and we reveal and explain the reasons for a lot of bad things that are being disreported on. So you would think Jen Psaki's kind of made a, a name for herself as White House press secretary. Many will forget that before that she worked, she wasn't a anchor, but she worked as a contributing whatever. She was on CNN quite a bit. So CNN and MSNBC, when they found out Jen Psaki was going to leave the White House early, they started uh, bargaining to get her. And as we told you, MSNBC won the war. But you would think everybody at NBC would be tickled to death. Jen Psaki, White House press secretary. What kind of credibility at the White House comes to NBC with their big-time White House press secretary joining our ranks as a contributor? Journalists at NBC are what is being called vexed. (laughs) Vexed, that means they're very upset. And this comes from CNN. You got to remember in context of what we're talking about, CNN was bargaining to get Saki there. So CNN put out a story. And these journalists at NBC are so vexed, I guess they are, they're so vexed that NBC News President Noah Oppenheim was forced to hold an impromptu phone call to address the concerns of his Washington Bureau staff, some of whom have gone to their superiors and they're expressing fear that Saki's tentative hiring tarnishes the NBC News brand. So Oppenheim was speaking with some angry journalists on this call, and he made it very clear. Look, guys, NBC News and MSNBC are different. NBC News is NBC News. And MSNBC is opinion programming. And he stated that NBC News, which he oversees, has no role in the offer to bring Saki on board. He stressed that MSNBC's opinion arm is separate from NBC News and the hires they make are unrelated to the work that NBC News does. Here's what he was saying. They have perspective programming. (laughs) Perspective programming, that's a novel way of saying they're all about their partisan thuggery. They're not reporting news. They're talking about however and whatever they feel about anything and everything. This was done on the perspective programming side, if you use that definition. Not anything that reflects on NBC News. People wanted answers on what NBC's role was in this, and NBC has no role in this. This is MSNBC's perspective programming. And I know you, just like me, are thrilled to know, oh my gosh, we're going to have Jen Psaki on MSNBC. Maybe she can get on the show with, you know, Joy Reid. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can you imagine those two together? Joy Reid would kill, physically, would grab and choke Jen Psaki to death on her show. 
I got to be totally honest with you. Jen's leaving. That is all that matters to me. And regarding her going to MSNBC, I say this. She's obviously getting a big contract just because of where she worked. She's going to make a lot of money. And she's just going to be who she is, at least who she tells us she is. And in the tank far lefty that wants borders gone, guns gone, period. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. I remember when this song came out. Oh my gosh. We were enthralled. It was like four guys. I mean, it was like a drummer, uh, a lead guitar player, a, um, a bass guitar player, and a singer. And the singer had a real rough and shaggy voice. Shaggy? Is that a word for voice? I bet you know what I was talking about. Gravelly voice. Anyway. American woman. Hey, listen up. Jerry Nadler, you know who he is. He's a member of the House of Representatives. He chairs a big, important committee. I think it's the uh, House Judiciary Committee. I believe that's it. I don't call Jerry Nadler Representative Nadler. I don't call him Mr. Nadler. I don't call him Jerry. I call him Penguin. For those of you that are old enough to remember the original late, not the original black and white, but when uh, the the uh, Batman movies began to come out, I think it was the second one. Um, the second one had the penguin in that was played by Danny DeVito. And you know him. He's a little short, squatty body actor. Jerry Nadler, when he, when he stands, he's got a belly in the middle, and he's short, and when he walks, he looked just like the Penguin in Batman. So I call him Batman. Well, he's really getting into it in some of these hearings regarding what goes on at our southern border. Yesterday, he and Texas Representative Chip Roy, they went absolutely toe-to-toe. Tensions boiled during a House Judiciary Committee hearing when Representative Chip Roy erupted at Gerald Nadler for the dismissive attitude of Democrats over this ongoing crisis at the border that includes human trafficking in advance of an expected swarm of illegals when this Title 42 is lifted in May. 
Last week, the CDC, they're totally in charge, according to Joe Biden, to decide if and when we go into these situations that bring Title 42 to bear. Last week, the CDC said, no longer, we don't need to do it anymore. Why did they do that in an election year? It's going to allow the entries of hundreds of thousands of migrants Despite lingering concerns over COVID, we know what's happening here in COVID world. We know about our infections. We know about the positive tests that come back, and we know about hospitalizations and all that kind of stuff. What we're looking at, folks, is hundreds of thousands of new illegals flooding across our southern border. We have no infrastructure in place to be able to test these people, not just for COVID, but for anything. And I'm talking about even good, honest people that want to come here for a better life and are willing to work. They're going to come in here. And so Nadler, he just kind of blew the congressman off. Sparks flew after Nadler scoffed over Roy's mention of helpless little girls being raped in stash houses and drug cartels raking in millions of dollars. And that sent Chip Roy into an angry rant at the disgusting indifference of Democrats who, with just a few exceptions, have expressed no regard for the disastrous consequences of the Biden administration's open border stance and this looming invasion next month. My colleague from Texas mocked the focus by some of my colleagues on the, need to, on the need to have Title 42, as if it's not causing rampant flow across our border. Little girls put in stash houses getting raped, cartels making hundreds of millions of dollars, and then the chairman scoffs, Roy said, turning his chair and gesturing at Nadler. The chairman scoffs when I say little girls getting raped in the stash house. Has the chairman been to the border of Texas? Has the chairman in the last year seen the border of Texas and met with border patrol agents, gone down and talked to the people that are sitting there looking at what is actually happening in stash houses? Yes, said Chairman Nadler. Asked if the agitated Roy would yield. And what did you find, Roy shot back? No stash houses? The penguin scoffed. Is the chairman saying there are no stash houses, no little girls getting raped in Texas? Nadler said, I'm not saying there are no stash houses. I'm not saying little girls not being raped in Texas and in every other state in the union for that matter. He tried to distract from the question that Roy asked, then reclaiming my time when the chairman scoffs when we talk about the damage being done in this country Cartels having complete operational control of our border, charging three to five thousand dollars a day to come across the border, and little girls getting put into the sex trafficking trade. I think that tells us a lot about where the priorities priorities are of this committee. And I'm getting a little sick and tired of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle scoffing at Texans having to take the brunt of this. Ranchers losing their longtime family held ranchers, fences cut. Livestock getting out, people getting abused at the other side of the aisle, just don't give a whit about it as evidenced by the scoff of the Judiciary Committee Chairman. It's absolutely mind-boggling, he fumed. I would have uh, 
I would have put up that soundbite for you to hear him do it, but it was laced with some profanity, and I don't have a dump button here at TNN Live where you can, uh, like in radio, the years I was in radio, we did any talk stuff. We had a dump button. Uh, There's a a very slight, a few-second delay of what happens in the studio and what you hear, and so if you hit that dump button, if you're in the studio and somebody cusses, or says something nasty, you can just put the dump button and the people listening don't hear that part of it. Didn't have that. So, anyway. So what? what is, let me ask you this. Let's turn to the midterm elections. We hadn't talked about this coming up. What are the plans? What do Democrats have for a, a plan for what they can run on? I mean, you and I both here, we hear a lot of these Democrats out there that are just raving about all of the all of the great things that Joe Biden has done in his presidency. They don't want to talk about all of the bad things that have happened. And there is so little good for them to talk about that what they've done is they take a lot of the bad things that actually have happened and they don't talk about them being bad. They talk about some of them being good. And anything bad, if they're pushed on it by media, as an example, they'll say, well, you know, that's a product of the Ukraine-Russian war, or that's the product of the pandemic, or that's the product of the wrongdoing of the Trump administration. Democrats will never, ever say that they're responsible for anything bad that happens. Another Far-left NBC commentator confirmed this week that all Democrat Party has to run ongoing into the midterms. All they have is the irrational fear of Donald Trump. So in describing this anti-Trump strategy to MSNBC's host, Nicole Wallace, another ding-dong, commentator John Heileman stressed this isn't his plan, but rather a plan he's heard Democrats banding about as a likely midterm strategy. We're going to have these 1-6 committee hearings, January 6. Donald Trump's going to be in the spotlight. He wasn't on the ballot in 2018 when we had massive turnout that helped Democrats. That blue wave. But we won anyway because we nationalized the elections and made it about the fear of Donald Trump, he said. Let's take Donald Trump, take that January 6th committee, the threat he poses to democracy, make him still the face of the Republican Party, talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Madison Cawthorn, say this party is crazy town, it's Trumpist, Trump is a threat to our democracy. You just heard it from his own mouth. Now what this means The plan is for the Democrat Party to repeat the same thing it has been using, to no avail, judging by polling numbers, for the past six years. They're going to campaign against Donald Trump. Try to make Democrat base voters scared again. They can't motivate them on the basis of hope or their pocketbooks or any of these accomplishments. They got to scare the crap out of them and get them to come out. He's talking about the Democrat base. And then maybe, and this is a dark thought, he said, the other thing that people look at as a variable is the possible repeal of Roe v. Wade and that being a motivating factor for a lot of Democrat voters and that these things are on the horizon. 
He finished by stating that a lot of Democrats are pondering using this strategy. And he even went into mentioning and talking about Terry McAuliffe. I'm not going to go there. Terry McAuliffe, he has as much integrity and morality in his entire body and career and life as I have in my little toe, my left foot, which is really short. Let's segue over to our own military, not necessarily Ukraine, but to our military. Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, he's the big guy. He made a big prediction this week on Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine that stood in stark contrast to his earlier claims on the potential conflict ending. This is before it happened. This is in those weeks running up to the invasion. When Milley was on TV, and every time he was asked about this invasion and how long it would take and what would be involved, he predicted Putin would be successful within 72 hours. So he missed the mark a little bit when you say we're still going 40-plus days into it. Despite missing that substantially, Milley said of the war now, this is now, this is yesterday, he said, I think it's at least measured in years. So where did this happen? It happened on Capitol Hill. Milley was joined by Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, the two testified before the House Armed Services Committee regarding Biden's proposed defense spending in the $5.8 trillion budget. So Representative Bill Keating, a Democrat from Massachusetts, noted red lines that Russia had presented to U.S. leaders on February 17th. So when I look at this commitment, what I'd like to ask Keating asked this to Milley is what is the time frame you foresee that we're involved in this type of conflict. It's a bit early still. Even though we're a month plus into the war, there's much of the ground war left in Ukraine. But I do think this is a very protracted conflict. And I think it's at least measured in years. I don't know about a decade, but at least years for sure. This is a very extended conflict that Russia has initiated. And I think that NATO, the United States, Ukraine, and all of the allies and partners that are supporting Ukraine are going to be involved in this for quite some time. Now, in a closed-door briefing back on February 2nd and 3rd, at the time, Milley was saying that Ukraine could fall within 72 hours if a full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine takes place. And... Of course, that's happened. So what does this mean to you, Mark Milley, General Mark Milley? Well, just look back at his career. He missed it in the Middle East when Benghazi happened. He missed it in the recent Afghanistan debacle. He was right in the middle of it. He was right there with Joe Biden. And on their watch today, folks, we still have several hundred Americans who are still tied up They're held in Afghanistan. He's the Joint Chief of Staff for the United States military. He doesn't have a clue, and he's guessing. That scares me to death. Wow, what a day. Thank you for being here. So many moving parts in what we're seeing happen. Be here tomorrow. We'll end the week together, how about? 
8 Eastern Time. No, it's 10 Eastern Time. 9 o'clock Central Time every weekday. TNN Live. Like the times that we spent Hiding out from the rain Under the carnival tent I laughed and she'd smile It would last for a while You don't know what you got Till you lose it all again Listen to the
Listen to the tears roll down my face as she turns to gold. 